From MIT Technology Review, I'm Laurel Ruma, and this is Business Lab, the show that helps business leaders make sense of new technologies coming out of the lab and into the marketplace. Our topic today, edge to cloud computing. Data is now collected on billions of distributed devices, from sensors to oil rigs, and it has to be processed in real time, right where it is to create the most benefit, the most insights. And the need is urgent. According to Gartner, by 2025, 75% of data will be created outside of central data centers. And that changes everything. Two words for you. Compute everywhere. My guest is Sandra Rivera, who is the Executive Vice President and General Manager of the Data Center and AI Group at Intel. Sandra is on the Board of Directors for Equinix. She is a member of University of California Berkeley's Engineering Advisory Board, as well as a member of the Intel Foundation Board. Sandra is also part of Intel's Latinx Leadership Council. This episode of Business Lab is produced in association with Intel. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you so much. Hello, Laurel. So edge computing allows for massive computing power on a device at the edge of the network, as we mentioned, from oil rigs to handheld retail devices. How is Intel thinking about the ubiquity of computing? Well, I think you said it best when you said uh, computing everywhere, uh, because we do see with the continued exponential growth of data accelerated by 5G, uh, so much data is being created. In fact, uh, half of the world's data has been created in just the past two years, but we know that less than 10% of it has been uh, used to do anything useful. The idea that data is being created and computing needs to happen everywhere is, is true and powerful and correct. But I think we've been uh, really evolving our thought process around what happens with that data, where uh, the last uh, many years we've been trying to move the data to a centralized compute cluster, primarily in the cloud. And now uh, we're seeing that if you want to or need to process data in real time, you actually have to bring the compute to the data, to the point of data creation and data consumption. And that is or what we would call the build out of, of edge computing and that continuum between what is processed in the cloud and what needs to be or is better uh, processed at the edge, much, much closer to where that data is, is created and consumed. So the Internet of Things has been an early driver of edge computing, right? We can understand that and, like you said, closer to the edge, uh, closer to the compute point. Um, but that's just one use case. What does the edge to cloud computing landscape look like today? Because it does right, exist. And how has that evolved in the past couple of years? Well, as, as you pointed out, when you have installations or when you have applications that need to compute locally, you don't have the time or the bandwidth to go all the way up to the cloud. And the Internet of Things really brought that to the forefront uh, when you look at the, the many billions of devices that are computing and that are, in fact, um, needing to process 
uh, data and inform some type of action. Uh, you can think about uh, a factory floor where we have deployed computer vision to do inspections of of uh, products coming down the assembly line to uh, identify defects or uh, to uh, to help the the manufacturing process in terms of just the the fidelity of the parts that are going through that assembly line. You know that that type of response time is measured in single digit milliseconds, and and it really cannot be something that is processed up in the cloud. And so. While you may have a model that you've trained in the cloud, the actual deployment of that, that model in, in near real time happens at the edge. And, and that's just one example. We also know that uh, when we look at you know, retail as another opportunity, particularly when we saw what happened with the pandemic, as we started to uh, invite guests back into retail shops, uh, computer vision and edge inference uh, was used to to identify you know, were were customers being uh, or rather were they maintaining their safe distance uh, apart you know were they practicing a lot of the the safety protocols that that were being uh, required uh, in order to get back to some kind of new normal where you actually can invite guests back into a retail organization so all of, all of that type of processing that needs to happen in near real time really is not something that, that can be hauled all the way back to the cloud uh, in order to make a decision. So we do have that, uh, that continuum, Laurel, where there is you know, training that is happening, especially the deep uh, learning uh, training, the very, very large models that are happening in the cloud, but the, the real-time decision-making and the collection of that metadata that, that can be sent back to the cloud for the models to be, frankly, retrained, right? Because what you find in practical implementations maybe is not the way that the, the models and, and the algorithms uh, were designed uh, in the cloud. You know, there is that, that continuous loop of learning and relearning that's happening between uh, the models and the, the actual deployment of those models at the edge. Okay, that's really interesting. So it's sort of like um, the data processing that has to be done immediately is done at the edge, but then that, that more intensive, more complicated processing is done in the cloud. So it really is a partnership. You kind of need both for it to be successful. Indeed. It, it, it is that continuum of learning and relearning and training and, and uh, deployment. And, uh, and you can imagine that at the edge, you often are dealing with much more power constrained uh, devices and platforms and model training, especially large model training takes a lot of compute and you uh, will not often have that amount of, of compute and, and power and cooling uh, on the edge. So, so there's clearly a role for the, the data centers and, and the cloud to train models, but at the edge, you're needing to make decisions in real time, but there's also you know, the benefit of not necessarily hauling all of that data back to, to the cloud. Much of that is not necessarily uh, valuable. You're really just wanting to, to send the, data, the metadata back to the cloud or the data center. Uh, so there's some real TCO, total cost of operations, real benefits to not paying the price of hauling all of that data back and forth, uh, which is also a benefit of, of being able to compute and deploy 
at the the edge, which we see our customers really opting for. What are some of the other benefits uh, for an edge-to-cloud architecture? You mentioned the cost was one of them for sure, as well as time and not having to send data back and forth between the two modes. Are there others? Yeah, the, the, you know, the other reasons why we see customers wanting to train the, the smaller models, certainly, and deploy uh, at the edge is enhanced security. So there is the, the desire to have more control over your data to not necessarily be moving large amounts of, of data and transmitting that uh, over, over the Internet. So, uh, so enhanced security tends to be a value proposition. And frankly, in some countries, there's a data sovereignty directive. Uh, so you have to keep uh, the data local. You're not allowed to necessarily take that data uh, outside a, a premise. And certainly uh, national borders uh, also becomes uh, one of the, the directives. So enhanced security is uh, another uh, benefit. We also know that from a reliability uh, standpoint, there are you know intermittent uh, connections uh, when you're transmitting large amounts of data. Uh, not everybody has a great uh, connection. And so the ability to transmit and you know, all of that data versus uh, being able to capture the data, process it locally, uh, store it locally, it does give you a sense of consistency and sustainability and, and reliability that you may not have if you're really hauling all of that uh, traffic back and forth. So, so we do see security. We see that the reliability and then, as I mentioned, the, the lower latency and the increased uh, speed is, is certainly uh, one of the big benefits. Actually, it's not just a benefit sometimes, Laurel. It's just a requirement. If you think about an example like an autonomous vehicle, right, all of that, mm-hmm. the camera information, the LIDAR information that is being processed, it needs to be processed uh, locally, right? It really, there isn't time for you to go back to, to the cloud. So there's you know, safety requirements for implementing uh, any new technology in automated vehicles of any type, you know, cars and drones and robots. And so you know, sometimes it isn't really driven as much by cost, but just by security and safety requirements of implementing that particular platform uh, at the edge. And with that many data points, if we take, a, for example, an autonomous vehicle, there's more data to collect. So does that increase the risk of safely um, transmitting that data back and forth? Is there more opportunities to secure data, as you said, locally versus transmitting it back and forth? Well, security is a a huge factor in the design of any computing platform. And the more disaggregated the architecture, the more uh, endpoints with the Internet of Things, the more autonomous vehicles of of every type, the more smart factories and smart cities and smart retail that you deploy, you do, in fact, increase that surface area for attacks. The, the, the good news is that modern computing has many layers of security and ensuring that the devices and platforms are uh, added to the networks in a, in a, a secure uh, fashion. And that can be done both in software as well as in hardware. In software, you have you know, a, a number of different uh, schemes and, and capabilities around keys and uh, encryption and ensuring that only the 
you know, that, that you're isolating you know, access to those keys. So you're not really centralizing uh, the access to, to software keys that, that users may be able to hack into and then you know, unlock uh, a number of different uh, customer you know, encrypted uh, keys. But there's also you know, hardware-based encryption and, and hardware-based isolation, if you will. And, and certainly you know, the technologies that we've been working on at Intel have been a combination of both uh, software uh, types of, of innovations that run on our hardware that can define these secure enclaves, if, if you will, so that you can attest that you have a trusted execution environment and uh, and where you uh, where you're quite sensitive to uh, to any you know, perturbation of that environment and, and can lock out a potential malact or at least uh, isolate it. Um, in the future, you know, what we're working on is much more hardware isolated uh, enclaves and, and uh, environments for our customers, particularly when you look at virtualized infrastructure and virtual machines that are shared amongst uh, different uh, customers or applications. And this will uh, be yet another level of protection of the IP for that tenant that's sharing that infrastructure while we're ensuring that they have a, a fast and and um, you know, good experience in terms of processing the the application, but doing it in a way that's that's safe and and isolated and secure. So thinking about all of this together, there's obviously a lot of opportunity for companies um, to deploy and or um, just really make great use of edge computing to do all sorts of different things. How are they using? How are companies using edge computing to really drive digital transformation? You know, edge computing is just this idea that has taken off in terms of, you know, I have all of this infrastructure, I have all of these uh, applications, many of them are, are legacy applications, and I'm trying to make better, smarter decisions uh, in my in my operation around efficiency and productivity and safety and security. And we see that, you know, this combination of having compute platforms that are disaggregated and available everywhere uh, all the time and AI as a learning tool to improve that productivity and that effectiveness and efficiency and, and this this combination of you know what will the machine help humans do better uh, and so in many ways we see customers that have you know, legacy applications wanting to modernize their infrastructure, and uh, and moving away from what have been the black box bespoke uh, you know single application targeted platform to uh, a much more virtualized, flexible, scalable, programmable infrastructure that is largely based on you know the, the type of, of CPU technologies uh, that we've brought to the world. The CPU is the most ubiquitous computing platform on the planet, and the ability for all of these retailers and manufacturing uh, sites and sports venues and uh, and you know, any number of, of endpoints to look at that that infrastructure and evolve those applications to be run on general purpose computing platforms and then insert AI capability through the the software stack and through you know some of the acceleration the AI acceleration features that we have in the underlying platform it just makes it much more accessible for customers in the market to 
evolve and transform uh, their infrastructure while uh, working through the issues and the challenges they have around, you know, needing to be more productive and, and more effective uh, moving forward. And so this move from fixed function, really hardware based solutions to virtualized general purpose compute platform with AI capabilities infused into that platform, and then having a software-based approach to adding features and and doing upgrades and doing uh, software patches to the infrastructure. It really is the the promise of the future, the the software-defined everything uh, environment, and then having AI be uh, part of that platform for learning and uh, for deployment of these models that that improve the uh, effectiveness of that that operation, and so for us, uh, you know, we we know that AI will continue to be this growth area of computing and uh, and building out on you know the the computing platform that is is already there in you know uh, quite ubiquitous across the, the globe. You know, I I think about this as you know, the AI you need on the the CPU you have because it you know. Most uh, most everyone in the world has uh, some type of a an Intel CPU platform or a, a computing platform from which to build out their AI models. So the AI that you need with the CPU that you have that certainly is attractive to uh, companies who are thinking about how much this may cost. But what are the potential returns on investment benefits for implementing an edge architecture? Um, you know, as as I uh, mentioned, you know, much of what the companies that you know, customers that that we work with, you know, they're looking for faster and better quality decision making. I, I mentioned the you know the factory line. We we're working with automotive uh, companies now, where they're doing that visual inspection in real time on the factory floor, identifying the defects, taking the defective material off the off the line, and and working that and. And, you know, that is a, you know, any, any high repetitive task where humans are involved is, is truly an opportunity for human error to be inserted. So, uh, so automating uh, those functions faster and higher quality decision making is, uh, is clearly a benefit of moving to more AI based computing uh, platforms. As I mentioned, reducing the overall TCO the need to move all of that data, whether or not you've concluded it's even valuable, just centralized data center or cloud, and then hauling you know, uh, it back uh, or, or processing it there and then figuring out what was val- valuable before uh, applying that to the edge computing platform. That's just a, a lot of waste of, of bandwidth and network traffic and you know, time, right? So, so that's definitely... The, the attraction to the edge computing uh, buildout is is driven by this uh, you know, the the latency issues as well as the TCO issues uh, and as I mentioned just the the increased uh, security and privacy um, you know we we have a lot of very sensitive data in in our manufacturing sites uh, you know process technology that that we drive and we don't necessarily want to move that off uh, premise and. Uh, we prefer to have that that level of control and that safety and security uh, on site. Um, but you know, we 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 do see that that the industrial sector, the manufacturing sites, uh, you know, being able to just 
automate their their operations and you know, providing a much more safe and stable and efficient operation is is one of the big areas of opportunity and and certainly where we're working with a number of customers whether it's in you mentioned oil refinery whether that is in you know healthcare and uh, and medical applications on edge devices and instrumentation uh, whether that is in uh, dangerous you know areas uh, of the world where you're sending in robots or or um, uh, drones uh, to to perform visual inspections or or to uh, take some type of action. I mean, all of these are benefits that uh, that customers are seeing in application of edge computing and AI combined. So lots of opportunities, but what are the obstacles to edge computing? Um, why aren't all companies, you know, kind of looking at this as as the wave of the future? Uh, is it also device limitations? For example, your phone does run out of battery. Um, and then also there could be environmental factors for industrial applications that need to be taken under consideration. Yes, it's a couple of things. So one, as you mentioned, computing takes power. Right? And uh, and we know that we have uh, to work within restricted power envelopes when we're deploying uh, on the edge and also on computing, you know, small form factor computing uh, devices or in areas where you have a, a hostile environment. For example, if you think about wireless infrastructure deployed across uh, the globe, that that wireless infrastructure, that, that connectivity will exist in the coldest places uh, on earth and the hottest places on earth. And so you do have those uh, limitations, which for us means that we drive um, working through um, through, you know, of course, all our, our materials and components research and, and our process technology and, and the way that we design, develop our, our products uh, on our own, as well as together with customers for much more power efficiency types of, of platforms to address that particular uh, set of issues. And there's always more work to do because there's always more computing you want to do on an ever limited you know, power budget. The other big limitation we see is in, in legacy applications. If you look at, you know, you brought up the Internet of Things earlier, you know, the Internet of Things is really just a very, very broad range of different market segments and verticals and specific implementations to a customer's environment. And, you know, our challenge is how do we have application developers or how do we give application developers an easy way to migrate and integrate AI into their legacy applications. And so when we look at, you know, how to do that, first of all, we have to understand that vertical and working closely with customers, what is important to a financial sector, what is important to an educational uh, sector, what is important to a healthcare uh, sector or a transportation uh, sector, and, um, and understanding those workloads and applications and the types of developers that are going to be uh, wanting to deploy on their edge platforms, um, it informs how high up the stack we may need to abstract the underlying infrastructure or how low in the stack some customers may desire to do that, you know, end level of uh, fine-tuning and optimization of the infrastructure. So that software stack and the onboarding of developers becomes the both the challenge 
as well as the opportunity to unlock as much innovation and capability as possible in really meeting developers where they are. Uh, you know, some are the ninjas that uh, want to uh, and are able to program to that last few percentage points of optimization and others really just want a very easy, you know, low code or no code, you know, one touch deployment of, of a, an edge inference, you know, application that you can do with the varying uh, tools that, that certainly we offer and others offer in the, in the market. Uh, and maybe the last one in terms of, you know, what are the limitations I would say are meeting, you know, safety standards. Um, that is true for robotics uh, in a factory floor. That is true for automotive in terms of just meeting the, the types of safety standards that, that are required by transportation authorities across the globe before you put anything in the car. You know, and that is, is true in environments where you have either, you know, manufacturing or oil and gas industry. I mean, just a lot of, of safety uh, requirements that you have to meet either for regulatory reasons or, uh, or clearly just for the overall you know, safety uh, promise that companies make uh, to their employees. Yeah, that's a very important point to probably reinforce, which is we are talking about hardware and software working together. Uh, as much as software has eaten the world, there is still really important hardware applications of it that need to be considered. And um, even with something like AI and machine learning, and the edge to the cloud, you still have to also consider your hardware. Yeah, I often think that while, uh, to your point, software is eating the world and the the software truly is the big unlock of the underlying hardware and taking all the complexity out of, of that motion, out of the ability for you to access virtually unlimited compute and an extraordinary amount of innovations in you know AI and computing technology um, that is the big unlock in that kind of democratization of computing and AI for for everyone but somebody does need to know how the hardware works <laughs> mm-hmm. and somebody does need to ensure that that hardware is uh, is safe is performant uh, is doing what we need it to do and in cases where, where you may have some errors or some defects um, is going to shut itself down. Uh, in particular, that's true if you, you think about, you know, edge uh, robots and, um, and autonomous um, devices of, of all sorts. So, you know, our job is to make that very, very complex interaction between the hardware and the software uh, simple and, uh, and to offer, if you will, the, the easy button for onboarding of developers where we take care of the complexity underneath. So speaking of artificial intelligence and machine learning technologies, how do they improve that edge to cloud capability? It, it's, a, it's a continuous process of, of iterative learning, uh, right? And so, uh, you know, the, if you look at that whole continuum of, you know, pre-processing and packaging the data and then training on that data to develop the models and then deploying the models uh, at the edge, um, and then, of course, maintaining and operating that entire fleet, if you will, that you've uh, deployed. Um, it is this circular loop of learning. Um, and, you know, that is the beauty of, of certainly computing and, and AI is just that um, that reinforcing the reinforcement of, of that learning and that iterative uh, enhancements and improvements that you get in 
in that entire loop and in the retraining of the of the models to be more accurate, more precise, and um, to drive the you know the the outcomes that we're trying to drive what, when we deploy uh, new technologies. As we think about those capabilities, machine learning and artificial intelligence and everything we've we've just spoken about, as you look to the future, what opportunities will edge computing help enable companies to create? Well, I think I think we go back to where we started, which is computing everywhere, and and we believe we're going to eventually see a world where edge and cloud don't really uh, exist or are perceived as separate domains, where compute is ubiquitous from the edge uh, to the cloud out to the client devices, where you have a compute fabric that's intelligent and dynamic, and where applications and services run seamlessly as needed. Uh, and where you're meeting the the service level requirements of of those applications in in real time or near uh, real time. So the computing behind all that will be infinitely flexible uh, to support the the service level agreements and and the requirements for the applications. And when we look in the future, we you know we are uh, quite focused on research and development and working with universities on on a lot of the innovations that that they're bringing. It's quite exciting um, to to see what's happening in neuromorphic uh, computing. We have our own Intel Labs uh, leading research uh, efforts to help you know the the goal of neuromorphic computing of enabling that next generation of intelligent devices and, and autonomous systems. And and these are really guided by the pr- uh, principles of you know, biological neural computation, right? Since uh, neuromorphic computing, uh, we use all those algorithm uh, algorithmic approaches that emulate how the human brain interacts with the world to, deli- you know, to deliver those capabilities that are closer to, to human cognition. So, so we're quite excited about uh, the the partnerships with with universities and academia around uh, neuromorphic computing and the innovative approach that will power the future autonomous AI solutions that will make you know the way we live, work, and play uh, better. Excellent, Sandra. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Business Lab. Thank you for having me. That was Sandra Rivera the Executive Vice President and General Manager of the Data Center and AI Group at Intel, who I spoke with from Cambridge, Massachusetts, the home of MIT and MIT Technology Review, overlooking the Charles River. That's it for this episode of Business Lab. I'm your host, Laurel Ruma. I'm the Director of Insights, the Custom Publishing Division of MIT Technology Review. We were founded in 1899 at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And you can also find us in print, on the web, and at events each year around the world. For more information about us and the show, please check out our website at technologyreview.com. This show is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll take a moment to rate and review us. Business Lab is a production of MIT Technology Review. This episode was produced by Collective Next. Thanks for listening.